Welcome to the Pot on Point podcast, a show about sports, business, and the business of sports. My name is Mike McPhee, coming to you from Denver, Colorado, where this season's Nuggets and Avalanche games will be like the proverbial tree that falls in the forest. If nobody's in the stands, and it's not on TV, did they really play the game? <laughs> they did. <Nope>. They did. <laughs> this is Anand Punjabi coming to you from London, England, where we are just yo-yoing up and down, up and down. One day we're locked down, the next day we're free. And as of midnight, in about three hours' time, we will be effectively locked down again. Fun times. Lock them up. Hi, everyone. This is Vladimir Bosanets. I'm still working on my Jack Sigma underhand free throws here in the big soggy Seattle, Washington. <laughs> Today on the Pot on Point podcast, we're back at it with a brief opener, where we'll cover some wins and losses and then dig into yet another insightful interview. We'll give a few more details into our guest in today's show in a little bit, but just briefly, we're going to be interviewing Scott Nestler. He's the founder of Safe Seating Solutions one of the companies that is helping to get sports fans back into venues in a safe way. So with that, Vlad and Anon and all of our listeners out there, let's kick this ball off and get this game started. All right, gents, we're back this week. How's everybody feeling? Anand, you're going back and forth into uh, lockdown and out of lockdown. Well, you know what? I think I feel sorry for the... uh hospitality industry because they're the ones that are suffering. It seems that the only lockdown when we change from yeah. tier two to tier three is that these guys have to stop. They've got to close. And so it's okay in Oxford Street right now in the middle of Christmas shopping where, you know, you're, you're 25 deep, you know, with no space to move around you. That's okay. But a uh, restaurant, restaurant that keeps 10 feet, 10 feet, <laughs> space between each table has got plastic screens you know in between them they've got to shut down it just makes no sense it makes no sense wow no Mm. easy way around this unfortunately no easy way um gentlemen uh i wanted to do a little update for you guys so uh last week or the week before we talked about cameo right cameo the 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 little uh platform that allows you know uh yeah, the video messages, you know, actors and celebrities, and some somebody dis- described it as a as a platform for every celebrity, you know, between B and Z. Yeah, <laughs> none of the A listers are on it. <laughs> but anyway, Cameo uh, Cameo CEO had an inter- had an interesting interview with uh, Kara Swisher uh, just a couple of weeks ago on her on her new podcast, and and I was actually listening to to some of the stuff that 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 they were uh, talking about. This is going to be quite interesting, I think, for uh, for you guys. I think the gentleman said that they have like 26 Trump impersonators, and combined, they're making something like three and three three and a half or three point six million dollars on the platform. Um, for those of you who used to watch Seinfeld back in the yeah, day, like uh, like I did, uh, the you know one of the most most iconic characters yeah. in that show was a soup Nazi. The soup <laughs> Nazi makes six figures apparently. Whoa! Um, and so it's so it's interesting. I mean, this is a serious platform, and I think uh, you know we are going to see some, you know college athletes and other professional athletes do stuff here. Um, wow. Very interesting model. So I, I know we kind of threw a little bit of shade on it. It was sort of a draw, whether it was a it was a win or a loss. But I think uh, the platform is becoming more and more of a win, the more the more, the more more we learn about it. so Well, it's so smart. It's, it's yeah. so smart. The guy who, who figured that one out, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Oh, that's cool. 
Anyway, wins and losses for this week. Mike, I'll let you kind of kick us off here, and uh, let's let's see what you got. Let's do it. I'll kick us off with a draw because that's kind of my style these days. I'm going to put a draw out there. <laughs> Apple Fitness Plus finally launched this week. We've been looking forward to seeing these guys. 180 plus classes, 10 bucks a month after your standard, you know, three month uh, freebie. Um, and, and they're off and running. I did, I did my first core with Brian yesterday at, you know, 10, 10 minutes. I, I did my first class. Good on you. Yeah. You, you feeling energized? <laughs> it was great. Uh, it was good. It's, it's, a, it's a very good product, I have to say. 89 more days till you pay. Who's Brian? Some dude. Some dude. <laughs> some, some dude on the platform. <laughs> and there's a bunch okay. of no name fitness instructors. <laughs> yeah. But, but here's where I call it a draw is because they've got an online store offering that feels a little bit off. And uh, full disclosure, I am a, a veteran of Apple retail. Um, so I do have some of the insight into how that, that space works. But um, in this one, they've curated some products and stands and typical tablet, phone accessories. They merchandise the products. Hey, that's wonderful stuff. But they're also quasi-merchandising or, or linking out to in, in a more yeah. direct way to say it to rowers, bikes, dumbbells. And so, so you click on, you know, something for lifting weights and you get sent out to the rogue site to buy some dumbbells. You get sent out to life fitness to buy a rower. And that just feels clunky and not Apple. That just doesn't feel like an Apple experience. So I'm giving it a draw guys. I, well, they're going, maybe they're getting to affiliate marketing now, right? You get the, they're getting 15 cents per click or something like that. I think they kind of have to, well, they're probably, (laughs) Add to that hundred billion in the bank. They're offering some kind of a you know sales, and maybe they're not even you know you know taking any cut in that, but but maybe they are, but but they kind of have to because when you look at Peloton, Peloton is sort of a full on offering, right? Uh, the bike, and apparently they're coming out with a um, with sort of a treadmill machine, also, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, there's a treadmill, treadmill, yeah. treadmill coming and out so, soon. And so that's I right. think you know, yeah. I think they have to match it. Um, as I was saying, I did my core workout with you know Brian, but there are other things you can do. You can do rowing, you can do you know biking. So they're already offering classes with those devices. So they're kind of saying if you don't have it. Here, uh, we can give you access to one, right? Yeah, go, that's go all one, true, right? but Apple's sold accessories for years now, and they've typically just brought them in-house yeah. and buy from them. But now you click on this, it looks just like, and you link out to another site. It's clunky. So it's just not, not what we're used to. It, yeah. Well, they're probably going to buy one Maybe. of these guys, right? I'm sure they're going to buy one of these uh, equipment manufacturers that have got six or seven different products. They got the treadmill, they got the, they got the cycle, et cetera. That's it. That's it. So that's my draw. Very good. And I got a quick one. I got a win. And 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 this one is today, Giannis. We'll just call him Giannis. He's on first name basis. Giannis <laughs> re up with the Milwaukee Bucks. Five years, two two hundred twenty eight million supermax deal. I'm gonna say he gets he gets maybe not a win, but the NBA gets a win for keeping a stud in Milwaukee. Not definitely not one of the high flying uh, free agent destinations, but I'm not so sure he's going to get the ring, which these guys so often covet. So win for the league and maybe not for him. I'm, I'm with you there. I, I don't think, I don't think he's going to win a whole lot in Milwaukee, but I could be wrong. We'll see. We'll see. Here you go. I got a couple, I got a couple here. Um, uh, sticking with the basketball story. My, my win is the NCAA plans to hold the entire women's basketball tournament in san antonio this uh spring i don't think they've announced anything what they're doing with uh, with the men's tournament yet but um i like it because it's uh it's going to be a bubble uh as we've seen from the nba bubbles work and i think that um i think this is a great first step in the in the right direction so 
don't know if you guys have seen this, but this was also just announced uh, earlier this week. So that's a win. Good that's deal. a win on my end. Well, you like you like bubbles, lad. Like keeping everything tight in one place. So yeah, I would say that's got to be a win. Yeah, and I think for health purposes, really more than anything else, right? Um, on the loss column, uh, I'm going to throw a little shade on uh, the Alabama basketball coach, Nate Oates. Uh, he was calling out Coach K. Coach K earlier this week or maybe late last week made a comment about, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing these uh, non-conference games? Uh, we're going to just spread the virus like, you know, crazy. Um, he was really concerned that that this was not the right way to do it. Uh, Nate Oates came out and sort of said, Coach K is only saying that because he lost a couple of games. Um, he actually got pushed back very quickly by some very uh, prominent and powerful coaches throughout the NCAA. Uh, Jim Beheim, for for one, uh, really came out and sort of, in in a way, you know, yelled at him. Not openly yelled yelled at him, but at a at a at a press com- conference, made a comment how. You know, Nate Oates is making a ridiculous statement, and uh, he didn't necessarily agree with Coach K, but he was he was acknowledging that this was an issue. So, so my loss here is, you know, uh, Nate Oates, you know, essentially calling out Coach K, saying that the reason that he's quote unquote worried about COVID is that is that they are starting off the season losing, and 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 I don't think that's the case at all. So, uh, that's that's my loss. Vlad, didn't we see Duke? Duke canceled all the rest of their non-conference games, I think, as well. Yes, they did. The yes, whole churn yeah. this last week. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, and and it look, I mean, it you know, this is going to be this is going to be crazy. We're going to talk talk about this, I'm sure, for the next few weeks. Uh, but how many games are already canceled for this weekend? I mean, I, I I feel like you know every every sort of news item you you read more and more are getting canceled, and I I don't know. Um, th- this is going to be a tough tough season, and. Um, we'll we'll see how it goes. Okay. Well, I mean, they're putting their money where their mouth is, right? If they're canceling the games, coach said we should cancel the games. They're doing the right thing. They are. They are. And I, I think you used the right word here, money. <laughs> money is really driving yeah. this more than yeah. anything. So, <laughs> uh, I have a, what I would consider a loss, a big loss all around. Uh, loss for fans, loss, uh, financial loss maybe. So Ligue 1 in uh, France, uh, the, uh, the, the elite... <laughs> The elite, uh, so sophisticated. Like that. not league, so, sophisticated. League, uh. so French. Uh, so there are, oh you know, the top tier, Jeez. top tier league in France, uh, not necessarily top tier league in Europe. Uh, you know, probably number four behind England, uh, Spain, Germany, Italy. So, you know, there besides PSG, which is basically just uh, you know a science experiment out of the Middle East. Uh, there's there's no there's no real story in in French football. So they signed this big media deal uh, last year um, with this organization out of Spain called Media Pro. Big money um, around our, goes to nine hundred nine hundred million euros a year. I think that was going to be over five years, which is going to really revitalize. They hope the French league pour some money in there. They could start buying some good players, uh, get the get the games broadcast a little globally a little little bit more. Um, second largest TV deal in Europe, which I find surprising, given that it was a French league, you know, which is not really a prominent oh, wow. league. Okay. But good for them. That's fine. But you know what, Media Pro haven't paid even 10% of what they owe. Uh-oh. And so they're citing COVID issues, pandemic issues, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it turns out that the league uh, didn't even 
receive or ask for the legal financial guarantees on this contract. So MediaPro disappearing, oh, wow. and there's no there's no money flowing now into the French league as far as broadcast rights go. They're going to show the games on TV, but uh, you know I'd like to know if the clubs are going to make any money this season, and are the players going to get paid? League One is it really even a league with PSG and 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 everybody else? Right, it's not really much of a league. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, you know what? This year, I think Nice are first right now, so maybe it's okay. the two of them. Let's see how it goes. Wow. Yeah, so that's a loss. That's it. a loss all around. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, have our interview. Uh, Mike, who are going to interview today? All right. Yes, sir. Next up on the show, we're going to be interviewing an entrepreneur whose company was birthed as a direct result of this year's pandemic. We're going to welcome Scott Nessler. He's a managing partner and founder of Safe Seating Solutions a software company that provides venue managers with optimal seating arrangements given social distancing and capacity constraints. This guy's a busy guy, though. Scott's also an associate teaching professor at the University of Notre Dame. Full disclosure, I'm also an alum, love the Notre Dame, where he also serves as the academic director of the MS in Business Analytics program. He's a PhD. He's a certified analytics professional. He's an accredited professional statistician. This is a busy man. Scott, welcome to the show. We are having a blast crafting this show and are so grateful for our listeners that tune in each and every week. We aim to bring you interesting stories, opinions, and yes, sometimes a hot take or two as we analyze and discuss the business angles to the dynamic global sports scene. Just like any team sport, we could use an assist or two in helping us get out our show to more listeners. I bet you didn't know that we have listeners in 27 states. That's a great start, but we know there's more out there that would dig our show. So if you don't mind, drop us a dime and pass us along to your neighbor, Fantasy Sports League, or that weekend warrior buddy of yours that never misses a 5K. And make sure you have subscribed too, so that you never miss a show. We appreciate you. Keep on listening, send us some feedback, and stay on point, my friends. All righty. Welcome to the pod, Scott. Lo- really looking forward to getting to know you a little bit and hearing about your uh, your venture. So let's uh, let's just get started a little bit. Could you tell us a little bit about your background up until the time before you started uh, Safe Seating Solutions? Sure thing, Michael. Thanks for uh, having me on today. I do appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been a faculty member here at the University of Notre Dame for five years now. Before that, I spent 25 years as an officer in the U.S. Army. That included a bunch of time in academia, either as a graduate student or teaching at West Point in the Naval Postgraduate School. And yeah, that's kind of who I am. That's pretty cool. Well, thank you for your service. That's fantastic. So, um, what's some of the background into safe seating? Like, how did how did your venture start? What was what's the origin story on on how this came to life in this past uh, past summer? Well, if you think back to the uh, late winter, early spring, when you know coronavirus hit and you know the world kind of shut down there in mid March, um, and we didn't have a uh, an NCAA tournament and we started thinking ahead to, hmm, what's going to happen, you know, next fall? How long is this going to go on? Um, I just started thinking about it. And then I guess it was late May. I read a blog post by a colleague that I've known professionally for a decade or so. And he proposed that optimization could be used as a way to safely seat fans in, you know, various venues for, for sporting events mm. and other uh, other activities. And it just struck me as, yes, this is the way to go. And you know, that's kind of where the idea came from. Oh, that's really cool. What a 
what an innovation story. I, you know, my colleagues and I, we've got careers in innovation. There's so many different ways it kind of comes to you with light bulb moments or connecting the dots. And, and so a trigger for you was a, a blog post and just kind of thinking of current events. That's, that's kind of cool. So, so safe seating was, was kind of cooking up for you in, in, in late spring. And, and, you know, we had all the different moving things in the pandemic of trying to, you know, wonder how, what we're going to do with sporting events, all the leagues had shut down. Um, can you tell us how you kind of safe seating kind of came to life? What does it do and, and what does it kind of, what, where, where does it stand these days? Sure. Well, that's a couple of different questions. Uh, let's start with the, how it came to life piece and then we can move into the others. So after I read that blog post, I decided to forward it to a couple of the leaders over in Notre Dame athletics. Uh, in addition to, you know, being a faculty member and uh, leading our master's program in business analytics, I'm also the advisor for the sports analytics club and program here at Notre Dame, where I have, you know, a few dozen students working for a handful of teams over in Notre Dame athletics. And I've done some work with the ticketing folks and, and, and others there. So I sent this article to them and said, hey, I don't know how far you've gotten along the path of thinking about what are we going to do for fans come August, but this seems like a reasonable approach to me. What do you think? And they they responded back and says, well, yeah, this looks really interesting. You know, is this something we can do? And I said, well, you know, if I wasn't teaching a couple of summer classes, uh, it's something I jump up and down to do in-house, but I'll tell you what, I'll introduce you to the consulting firm that uh, the guy I know works for, and maybe we can work something out. That didn't end up coming to fruition for a, for a couple of different reasons, and we decided to do it in-house, despite the fact that I had a busy summer. Uh, another colleague and I and a, a former student said, you know what, we can do this, and we, we took it on as a fun summer project, and uh, it was initially an in-house project for Notre Dame Athletics for their ticketing office, and then later we realized, you know, other schools professional teams, other organizations, arts, uh, you know, centers are going to have this kind, same kind of problem. And, and the, the solution we developed for Notre Dame should work equally well for them. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and, you know, form an LLC and commercialize this. <laughs> and often running from, from, from your kind of your, 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 your startup early days. So, so just without getting into the, all the bits and bytes, effectively, could you give us the, so, so your software meshes with some reservation software to optimize where folks could sit? Is there kind of just a high level how that works for a, a particular venue? Yes, yeah, sort of. It's not directly connected to the, the reservation software. What happens is the folks in the ticketing office download a manifest, which is basically a list of all the seats in the venue, whether that's a stadium, an arena, a theater, you know, whatever it is, but anywhere with fixed seating, mm -hmm. it's a list of, you know, here's the section number, the row number, the seat number for, for every single seat in the place. You know, for Notre Dame Stadium, that's like 74,000 and some odd seats, not counting the, the premium spaces. Um, and then they also typically have, you know, especially if they have season ticket holders, they have a list of groups of people who want tickets. So, you know, in the case of, uh, of the university, you know, that might be their season ticket holders, which includes, of course, students and faculty and staff. And, you know, we ended up limiting it to, uh, you know, just a few of those groups uh, for this season. But, you know, some of those groups are, are pairs of tickets. That's probably the most common size group. Some have four tickets. Some have more than that. There's probably a few that are singles or three and whatnot. So you have this list of demands for tickets and you have this manifest of all the available seats and what our model does is it puts those two things together and uses what's known as combinatorial optimization to 
kind of look at all the possible ways that people could be seated or rather groups of people could be seated in accordance with a set of policies. So the the ticket office has to make some decisions. They have to uh, think about, well, do we want to put people in every row or do we want to skip one or two or some number of rows? How many how many empty seats between groups in the same row do we want? You know, if your seats are 18 inches wide and you want six feet between, well, that kind of says you need four empty seats between groups in the same row. Do we want to let people sit on the aisles or not? So what the model does is it takes those two files as input that have been downloaded from their ticketing system. And with a, you know, a graphical user interface or a GUI that's, that's built into the application that lets them choose their their decisions or their policies there, it, it figures out the optimal way to arrange the groups of people so that you can get as many of them in as possible, keeping them, you know, the distance apart that you want to. That's, that's what it does. Sounds pretty interesting. So when we're watching our ball games this Saturday, more, we're seeing maybe more people in the college stands, it seems, than we are seeing in the pro stands on Sundays. I'm guessing there's maybe some are using your particular software and then there's probably some other versions out there. What, what does this landscape look like? Are there some others that have, that you're competing with that, that you know of out there? Certainly there's, I mean, there are what I would call heuristic or approximate models that are out there, which are just kind of eyeballing it and saying, well, you know, we're going to leave two empty on the aisle. We'll put some groups of four, we'll leave four empty seats. We'll put another group of two. We'll, you know, and just kind of doing it manually, which you can do, but takes time. And it doesn't mm-hmm. guarantee that you get as many people in as you want. You probably can come close, but you're not going to get the the best option unless it's just by luck. There are some organizations probably many colleges that uh, and universities that took that approximate or heuristic approach. Um, NC State, for example, partnered with SAS, the company SAS or SAS, which is located in North Carolina. They, they do all kinds of statistical and optimization software, and they developed a model in conjunction with NC State that I know they've marketed. I don't know who all their clients are, but I know some have used that. Um, the Pac-12, especially the University of Washington, came up with a model using Tableau, which is a visualization software. It looks really neat, but I'm not convinced that it's an optimization model. I think it's just a nice-looking heuristic model, but I haven't seen it under the hood, so I can't really be sure. But I think the Pac-12 schools that had that were allowed to have uh, fans in the stadiums used that. Um, on the pro side, yeah, initially many of the Many of the leagues decided, well, I mean, we saw what the NBA did with going into the bubble and baseball basically was empty stadiums. Although I'll tell you, we've had some major league baseball teams sign on as clients to use, to use our, our platform, our model as for scenario planning purposes for next season, you know, as they think ahead, because, you know, we're not, you know, it's, it's all great that there's a vaccine out there, but it's going to take a while to get everybody vaccinated. We're not going to be back to full capacity crowds i don't think anytime soon it's it's going to take some time yeah no doubt you know um as you as you as you think about this space when when then there's a natural tension between kind of what your service does it seems and what the venue operators are are wanting meaning they want to maximize revenue and therefore they want to maximize seating and then and then your software provides some limitations for that what, what, what types of challenges do you hear from venue operators as you as you sell into them? And, and, and how do you work through some of those things? Well, yeah, there's a few things. Um, you're right. They, they want to maximize occupancy or capacity, the number of people they put in seats. And 
And we want to help them do that subject to the constraints, you know, not that we are putting on them, but the constraints that either their leadership or the public health agency or, or someone is saying, you know, hey, you need to keep groups of people that don't live in the, the same household or the same dorm room or, or whatever. They're not an, a family unit. You need to keep them six feet or whatever distance away from others. What we're trying to do is let them maximize the, the number of people they're putting in subject to those constraints. So it's a it's a constrained optimization problem. So we're actually on their side. You know, we're not trying to work against them. Um, and I guess the other thing I would say is, you know, we don't actually do any um, actual modeling or consulting for anyone. We provide a platform, a tool that lets them do it. They're the ones ultimately making the decisions about how to set those those parameters for for skipped rows, empty seats, aisle seating, you know, things like that. Um, you know, we're not actually doing that. They're the ones that are still seating their fans. Um, the one other thing I would say is different venues are different. So, you know, take Notre Dame Stadium. Largely speaking, it's it's bleachers or benches. Um, you know, if you're in a in a bleacher seat like that and you want to go out to go to the restroom or the concession stand and you've got a group, you know, four seats down to your left and another one four seats down to your right, um, you can easily step up or down a row into an empty row to cross over to an aisle and then exit and same thing on the way back in. On the other hand, if you're in a, let's say, a baseball, professional baseball stadium that has a very steep pitch to the uh, to the seating and their chairback seats, um, it's not the easiest thing to do to step up or down a row and, you know, unless you're quite nimble. And stadiums probably don't like their fans doing that for liability reasons. Um, so, you know, maybe the model that we use there has to be a little different. Maybe they say, we only want to put two groups in each row in a section. That way this group can exit to that aisle and the other group can exit to the other aisle and they don't actually have to cross very closely in front of one another. And, you know, in baseball stadiums, that's probably okay because the, the sections tend to be considerably smaller. The rows typically have far fewer seats than say in a, a football stadium with, with bench seats. You know, you've mentioned, um, you know, some football seating bleachers and, and you mentioned baseball seating and that that's commonly, uh, uh, you know, chair back seats. But I believe this works across other venues, too. Would, it, would this be for for theaters, for uh, indoor, outdoor venues? Is it kind of really anywhere where, where, where seats could be sold? Yeah, pretty much so. I mean, anywhere that's got fixed seating where they're organized into sections and rows and and you know how many seats there are, and you know, you know, some of the dimensionality of those things. We, we've done some work with, uh, well, with the university here at Notre Dame for, you know, for basketball and hockey for those other venues here, as well as some of the larger theaters um, on campus. It, it can be used there. I mean, the, the current conference rules are we don't have any fans at, uh, at our basketball games right now, or our hockey games, but we've, we've done some modeling within those venues. Yeah, it works just fine in there. But, but like I said, they're, you know, the, the sections tend to be shaped a little bit differently. Maybe your, maybe your separation ought be different. And, you know, again, that's not my call, but you know, the guidelines might be six feet away is fine for an outdoor stadium. Maybe you want it, you know, eight or 10 or 12 feet away at an indoor venue, for example, but uh, it, it offers the ability to, to be flexible and work, whatever the constraints 
you you have to operate under. Yeah, no doubt. And we're all seeing as sports fans so many different permutations of this. As you mentioned, there's some different competitors out there. Um, we're seeing even ideas where whole sections of stadiums are shut down. And, you know, over in English Premier League, they're doing 2,000 people per building is somewhat of an arbitrary number, but I guess they're getting started with some fans, generally in the end zones, I believe, behind goals in, in some of those stadiums. Yeah, we've had some communications with some some organizations there in, in England with, you know, professional soccer. And uh, that may be a growth area for us. I uh, actually just got done watching the uh, just got done watching the Everton Leicester uh, match. I'm an Everton fan myself, so I was happy okay. today. But okay. um, it'll be good to see fans getting back into into those venues because the, the piped in crowd noise. No. Just doesn't do OK, so Everton guy, I want to say uh, I want to say they play Arsenal this weekend. I'm an Arsenal guy. So uh, so, Indeed, so that should be do. fun to look out for. Hey, so um, one of the things on our podcast, we've interviewed different uh, folks with innovative companies like yourself. And, and one of the things is we just as a platform, we admire companies using these challenging times to innovate. But you're a little different. Your company was founded in direct response to this challenging time and COVID dynamics. And how, how do you see your venture evolving as we eventually go back to filling venues again and what might be our, our new normal? Uh, we don't know when, but hopefully someday in the, in the not too, too far off future. Yeah, that's a really good question. I uh, I was first asked that question, so and my initial my initial answer was something to the effect of, you know, if that happens and and we go out of business, I'll be perfectly fine with that because we, you know, as as humans, will be happy to be, you know, socializing with each other the the way we have in the past. And 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 I and as a human, as a person, I, I truly mean that. But you know, as someone in business, I look at that and say, well, maybe that's not the right approach. Let's think about how might we adapt or morph what we're doing into whatever, you know, the, the future holds for us. And I guess I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. You know, I don't think in 2021, we're going to go back to full capacity in any venues. Um, you know, even if we get a significant portion of the population vaccinated by, you know, midsummer, let's say, which some have said would be about the the most logical time, at least here in the United States. And, you know, so I don't know that we're going to go back to full capacity. So teams and, and schools are still going to need a way to figure out, well, how many can we put in? You know, have, has the numbers have the numbers changed? Have the distances that are rec- recommended changed, given that we have a proportion of the, the population vaccinated or immunized? Um, so that that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, as great as the response to this has been and the, the, the rapid development of vaccines, this is likely not the last pandemic we as humans are going to face. There are likely going to be other ones in the future. Now, I can't tell you whether that's two years from now or 17 years from now or somewhere in between, but my sense is there will be a need for something like this again. You know, might not be a coronavirus, might be some other type of pandemic, but um, you know, we're we're just going to have to uh, see how it plays out. My thought is we we adapt as we go. And, you know, there may be a time where what we're doing isn't as needed. And, you know, I'm OK with that, uh, you know, given that this isn't my my livelihood. You know, it's it's kind of a side project at this point that's sort of taken on a, a life of its own. <laughs> oh, it's kind of a, it's, it's certainly a cool venture, though, for sure. Hey, so what this you have a unique origination where you're you're founded within a university and, and you're a full time employee there at the University of Notre Dame. Could you could you speak a little bit to the to the commercial arrangement you have with the university? Not so much the financials. Those, those are your side of things. But but you, you have a tie in. You mentioned you have a colleague you started with. I think a former student is part of your founding team. 
What's the tie-in to the university at this time? Yeah, so like many universities, Notre Dame has uh, an incubator on campus. In our case, it's called the Idea Center that provides a, a series of resources and processes to help startups from the university that are founded by faculty members, students, or local community members, you know, get started and know where to go and how to, uh, how to navigate the, you know, the difficult waters of a, of a startup. And uh, I did reach out to them early on and there, there were some things that, uh, that we certainly could have benefited from in terms of earlier engagement with them, but we, we, made a deliberate decision not to be too involved, mainly because we thought their process, while very, very good and very deliberate, might slow us down and somebody else would beat us to market. So we kind of went heads down on code for, you know, about a month or six weeks and until we got to somewhere we were happy with generally. I mean, it, it's still evolving mm -hmm. like any any new project, but um, we then re-engaged with them later. You know, we, we had to go through kind of an intellectual property rights determination with the university's uh, general counsel's office. You know, it turns out though, even though we are employees and a student at the university, mm -hmm. um, because we didn't do this as part of our jobs, but kind of as a side project, and you know, to be honest, most of the coding was done late at night and on weekends. Um, it turns out that the the university, you know, in this case, does not own the rights to it, but we as as individuals do. So the the LLC that we founded with three of us as partners is the you know is the organization that uh, that owns this. Now we have a a relationship with the university because they've helped us quite a bit in you know testing and development. That uh, you know it shouldn't surprise you that they get a better deal than other customers will. But um, <laughs> sure. but yeah, it's it's been they they've definitely helped us along the way that I guess the areas where I kind of wish we had maybe taken up more of their more, more advice and guidance was in once we had a, a viable product, how do we go about doing marketing and business development for it? Because that's not the strength of anyone you know, on our current team, I guess I would say. Got it. Very good. Well, that's, that's interesting to learn. And, and you guys are, are, are leading your own charge then. Uh, so that's kind of a cool development. You know, uh, a little bit back in the interview, you mentioned you're doing some work in sports analytics. Could we take a moment to talk about that? Because that's something we talk about on our show. Um, and you mentioned you've worked some with uh, with teams there at Notre Dame. But but I want to say in your background, some things started when you were at West Point, uh, where you were doing some some analytics. And could you take us into that in your background a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, back around 2008, when I was on the faculty at West Point, we got a project that came in and there, you know, besides teaching classes, faculty members and students there will often do sort of internal consulting projects for other army and department of defense organizations. And we had one that came in from the commanding general of the U S army, um, what was called then the accessions command, which doesn't exist anymore, but it's think of it as the recruiting command, the, the command that's responsible for bringing soldiers into the army. And okay. the question basically started with something like, what is a quality soldier? And for many, many years, the army had done a really good job at getting the right quantity of soldiers that we needed to come in the door every year and realize that 17% of the army goes out the door every year, either due to, you know, finishing their initial term of service or retirement or injury or, you know, a variety of other causes. So, you know, okay. you're replacing one in six every year and in a, an organization with a half million 
people on active duty and many more in the reserve components. That's a whole lot of people you got to bring in every year. So we've done a good job on the quantity side, but not necessarily the quality side, which is what the, the general wanted to get at. We reframed the question a little bit to one that was a little more manageable to tackle, which was how should we measure soldier performance um, as kind of a proxy for what is a quality soldier? You know, how should we measure soldier okay. performance? And, you know, yes, the Army's had tests in, in a couple of different areas for, for many, many years, you know, some cognitive tests you take, some physical fitness tests, things like that. But we really didn't have a good holistic way of measuring soldier performance. So we, we took a model that existed that looked at both the, the cognitive, the physical, and, and the moral domain, actually all three of those. And, mm. and then within that, there are a variety of attributes that uh, leaders from across the Army and, and other organizations told us, these are the things we want to see in our soldiers. And we, we got to, well, how can we actually measure this? So we developed this model called Whole Soldier. Um, you know, it won, a, it won a prize in 2010 within the Military Operations Research Society. We had a, a peer-reviewed journal article in 2013 that um, was published in Decision Analysis Journal about it. And variants of whole soldier even though it hasn't been adopted completely by the army they've done some limited and some larger testing with it but but keep in mind back at that point we were still very involved in you know two wars in iraq and afghanistan and the appetite for lots of change just wasn't there um so some other organizations started using variants of this for their performance analysis for things as diverse as surgical residents and police officers and Whoa. yeah i mean police officers and soldiers you could look at and say okay i, I see the similarities there but surgical <laughs> residents yeah. you know yeah. but yeah but again yeah. yeah you had to redefine what were the the attributes the qualities you were looking for but the methodology for measuring performance you know worked just fine and is continuing to in that particular organization you know that was done kind of as an external consulting thing um by one of my primarily by one of my colleagues who now runs uh, a people analytics department uh, in a large computer manufacturer, we'll say. Um, so anyway, that was kind of what got me started in this whole performance area, which if you think about it, measuring soldier performance and measuring athlete or student athlete performance has a lot in common. Those three domains, cognitive, physical, and moral also apply. Again, the particular mix of things you're looking for changes. But um, so anyway, that's kind of what got me interested to it. And when I came here to Notre Dame five years ago and, you know, was interviewing on a nice late December, no, late January snowy day, um, <laughs> perfect time to come to Notre Dame and figure out if you really want to be here or not. Um, you know, and my future boss at that point said, you know, oh, by the way, we were thinking of starting a sports analytics course, but we don't have anybody to teach it. Would you be interested? I was like, well, where do I sign? And so that's kind of how I got into that here. And then in within a year, we, we formed the Sports Analytics Club. We had a couple of really motivated students who had kind of started working with a couple of teams just informally. Um, you know, keep in mind, this is post Moneyball time and this is becoming popular as pro teams are starting to get analysts and all. And so the club now or the program, as we as we call it more formally, has students working with eh, five, six teams, most most of I think for the total of eight, some of them due to coaching changes and or student interest have, you know, waxed and waned a little bit. But um, it's a lot of fun to uh, 
to see students get excited about analytic methods in a, in a domain, you know, sports that they care a lot about, especially because they're, they're helping their school's team. And I just really enjoy it. Yeah, boy, that sounds so cool. You know, we're seeing in the college and pro landscape where the, you know, sports analytics is, is elevating in the domain, both off the field, off the, the actual game field, off in practice and, and, and kind of the health of an athlete and then elevating even more into live in-game uh, decision-making, right? Um, have, have, any of, have any of your team members been able to do things where they're uh, connected to the live game where they're potentially talking into headphones of a coach or something like that? Or is that kind of maybe down the road for you? Yeah, not, not quite to that level of detail. It's, it's more so providing feedback, you know, prior to a game, let's say in, in, you know, scouting uh, for, you know, an upcoming game or two or three in the future and then feedback and some reporting afterward. Um, you know, not so much during the game, but, um, you know, there've been some interesting interesting examples uh that have you can tell have made an impact i mean one with with lineup analysis uh a few years ago where the coach you know kind of thought he knew maybe it was better if he, if he played this particular player with these these other few but but he wasn't sure about it the you know the analytics really showed yeah that would probably be a really smart move and about halfway through the season he made a a change and the the difference was was noticeable you know there's one example Oh, and one other thing, if I can, if I can mention, I, I've had several students who've graduated who've gone on to work in sports analytics elsewhere. I mean, you know, for professional team conferences and companies. So, um, you know, they're, we're giving them the opportunity to do oh, something cool. they want to do while they're still in school. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, you know, as I said in our show, we, we, we love the innovative companies, innovative ideas, and, and you're working at multiple intersections of innovation. You're, you're working so diligently to get folks back into the buildings and then on, on the game side and the athlete side. It's so cool what you're doing to, to make athletes' performance better uh, with your analytics work. And um, just really thank you for coming on to the show today and uh, wish you the best of luck and maybe we'll catch up down the road. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a fun time being here the past five years. And uh, if you were able to see my office, there's a sign on the wall that has nine words. It says, make yourself useful, doing something hard with good people. And I'm very thankful and blessed that uh, that's something I get to do here at Notre Dame. Well, that's so cool. Well, best of luck to you. All right. Thanks, Michael. Mike, uh, great interview. That was uh, very interesting. Anxious yeah, to see how all this uh, plays yeah. itself out in the in the next couple of years. Um, I wonder if you'll be able to take these these solutions uh, global. You know, I think you would love to do that. So that's certainly that's certainly the hope. So, gents, I've got our uh, come on man for uh, for this week. It's 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 a little bit of a hybrid. It's not necessarily you know a knock on anybody. Um, so, Anthony Carter, uh, this story came up uh, in the news earlier this week. And Anthony Carter used to play in the NBA for about 12 or 13 years. Um, uh, part of his league time was spent in uh, Miami, uh, where he played for uh, Pat Riley back, back in the day. Um, he's not known for, for a lot of things. He was sort of a, you know, a um, bench player, came in, had a few... Uh, good, uh, good games. Uh, he had one game where he actually beat the Knicks with a last second shot that you know was was probably you know the highlight of uh, of of his you know career. Um, he had one other instance that happened to him. Um, his his agent Bill Duffy at the time um, 
forgot Whoops. to tell the Miami Heat. That come he on, man. That's our come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> to the Heat. File that. <laughs> and so, and so, and so he ended up. He ended up getting. He ended up losing this. You know guarantee that it, that it was that he had coming his way had to go to San Antonio and instead of earning something like you know 4 million dollars a year he oh, ended up getting man. a contract for about 700,000 dollars or something like that um he still played for a few years after that but but his agent Bill Duffy decided to make him whole and he gave him a there payment plan where he That's was going to cool. make up that 3 million dollars lost over over a number of years, and this month was the last payment of that plan. So, good on Bill Duffy, and uh, kind of interesting sort of story um, that uh, that you know comes out of the NBA. So, what do you guys think? Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, he kind of made up for that. I think uh, there's some integrity left in the in the world of business and sports. You know, it's it's good to see. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. and. And actually, uh, you know, when when he's asked about it, uh, and Anthony Carter actually still works with Bill Duffy. Uh, Bill Duffy, by by the way, uh, still still represents some um, very prominent players. Luka Doncic is one of them. Um, and uh, recently, Bill Duffy's firm has been in the in the news. He's getting a cash a cash infusion from another agency called Endeavor, where 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 they're going to join. Forces, but Bill Duffy said, um, you know, interestingly, you know, he, you know, he said this was this was a no-brainer when it when it happened. I knew I had to make him whole, and as a result, obviously, it has helped his business over the last decade because he said, you know, this was something that, um, you know, as people heard about it, I ended up getting more business because they they found that you know I was honest and I can you know I'm going to look out for your for your best interest. So you know, good on good on him also good for him. really stepping up and doing this. That's yeah. Nice. That's cool. Good one, Vlad. So that's the show, gentlemen. All right. Well, if you uh, listen to podcasts, you already know how to subscribe. Click that button that says subscribe. That's it. And give us, give us a review. Tell your friends. Tell your family about us. And if you have any comments or want to share some interesting stories with us, please reach out to us. Our email is in the show notes. And until we hear from you, gentlemen, good game. Good game. Great game. See you Thank next you, time. guys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.